Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. To help support the show, check out my link tree or show notes for affiliate links or for my Patreon. Or if you're interested in tipping me a few dollars, you can do so on PayPal or Ko-fi, again in the link tree. And now let's jump into this week's guest intro. Ivy might be one of the busiest folks in the tabletop industry. She's been hard at work this year on multiple events, one which she created herself, convention content, and running games on streams. She is an incredibly hard worker, a great networker, and a fantastic game runner. Enjoy. Yeah, so I'm Ivy. Pronouns are she, her. I'm gamer the girl everywhere else that you can possibly find me. Like Derek has previously said, I do the Krill Awards. I'm the PR manager for Geek Girl Con. I do community and social media management for content creators specifically. And I'm on the board for Rolling for Charity, which is a 24-hour charity event that we hold every November. So my TTRPG backstory is I actually have been a nerd for my entire life because my dad introduced me to Star Trek. So we started off as Voyager, which is my favorite. And then, of course, you know, Captain Picard came after that. And I was never really a fan of the originals, but those two were my favorite. I love cartoons. I'm in so many fandoms. I love Futurama. And so it was like the D&D episode of Futurama, which was like in 2008. And so I've been going to conventions since I was 16. So like back in 2013 was like my very first convention. So I've always been a nerd. So there's not a time where I can be like, yep, that is where I found tabletop because I've been so exposed to like this side of nerddom for so long. Yeah. Lifelong nerd. I love it. Love the Star Trek too. I can remember being a little kid and my parents were watching The Next Generation and me seeing Geordi LaForge and being like, wait, that guy's on Reading Rainbow. Like I know him for some reason. It's always a good time, though, when your parents kind of introduce you to these kinds of things. From growing up nerdy to being the super involved person you are today in tabletops, do you remember when you started getting into running games yourself? Do you remember what game it was and maybe kind of how that first session went? Do you recall? I started DMing a group and a party of 12 guys who were all noobs. Every person in it had never really played, except for like one of them, and he had only played with his wife, like one-on-one TTRPGs and stuff like that. I was the only girl at the table. I was the only DM, and eventually, like that, dwindled down to like a regular group size. But yeah, that's where I started, and I helped them all with character creation and sat down with every single one of them, and that was where I started. It was twelve people. Would not recommend. How long had you played up to that point? Like, how experienced are we talking? You know. I was not. I had one session under my belt at that point that I had planned a player in because an ex-partner had started me on it and I wasn't going to let that negative person in my life ruin TTRPGs for me. So I took over and started doing my own thing. Nice. I love that. I'd love to know some specific times or maybe things that you've done in the past while you were running games that you feel like were mistakes that other folks could learn from. Don't start with a party of 12 people. It's a lot of pressure to suddenly be in charge of so many people and running a storyline and trying to help them, especially new players, learn how to manage a character sheet or learn how to be a caster or be a barbarian or be a rogue of what they can do and when they can seek attack and what their bonus actions. Start off with a party that you can manage is always a good way to start. 12 is too many. 10 is probably too many. 8 is maybe too many. 6, a standard number. 4 might be ideal. I think other things, I really wish that I was in that moment when I first started DMing, that I knew more about safety tools and boundaries and what lines not to cross. Because, you know, we can know our own lines of what we're not going to GM. We can know, oh, I'm not going to include like body horror because I don't like that. But without talking to the rest of the players, you really don't know if they also have things. So I would definitely recommend if you're going to start, or even if you're jamming and you don't really use them, safety tools are great. But I think that my favorite tool and something that I probably should have started off more in, which a lot of people should, is communication. It's a, such an underutilized tool. But without it, a lot of games break down. And that's part of it is waiting too long to talk to players about certain things or 
being uncomfortable and awkward to bring those things up. It's okay to set those hard boundaries. So make sure you know your limits. What kind of things do you feel like you would have communicated earlier or, you know, like, do you have any kind of examples of that? I think just the general, like doing a session zero is a safety tool. I think I probably would have leaned a little harder on those things of what the expectations were. Because you can set a story, you know where the beginning and the end is, but what is everyone's expectations? And when you have a group of 12 people, six of them might want to go do with one thing and six of them might want to go do another. And then you have a split party. So I think that finding a way to communicate expectations probably would have been something that I would have originally added into a session zero. That and just your boundaries. Some people are okay with being flirted with in character, and some people are okay with their things getting stolen by other rogue players in the party, and others are not. So I think just a balance of expectations probably would have been a good conversation to start off with. It's great advice. And no matter how long the campaign is, I think it's good advice too, right? Being a DM of streamed games that are maybe much shorter, or you know, you probably have fewer episodes that you would deal with than like a five-year home campaign. It's still important to kind of address that stuff. Especially when you're running like a six session actual play or even just a home game of like it's turned in from one a one shot to a little bit longer. There's certain things they're not going to get to. So make sure you're meeting those. Or if you're not able to meet those, talking about it. Okay, to set those boundaries. On the flip side of that, what are some really fun, exciting moments, memorable moments that have happened you know, at your tables while you're running games or while you're playing that really stick out on your mind that people can learn from? I am a DM who loves improv and loves creative solution. Absolutely love rule of cool. I like creative ideas. I will always award creativity. An example of that would be the wonderful Katie Asaurus being one of the players at my table. A super creative, fun person in general, even more fun at a table where we in a mini campaign did a level 20 mini campaign in Avernus that I DM'd called Hell to Earth. And throughout the game of six sessions, Katie was putting seeds because they were playing a druid, putting seeds in hell. And I, as the DM, was like, that's weird. This is hell. You're a druid. Like, that's not really going to do anything. It wasn't until the final combat where Katie used plant growth to grow all of those plants and rolled for it to see if they would work. And she ripped hell asunder she tore every layer of hell with plant growth. It was a wild time. So I think that threw kind of a wrench in my plans because I wasn't anticipating any more layers of hell being ripped and shredded that way. On the flip side, I'm running a different game that's been going on for almost a year that it's reaching its conclusion that they fast-tracked it by a lot where it took me four hours to unravel what they had done. And now they have three sessions left. It was supposed to be 12 and they just keep cutting it shorter and shorter. They accidentally put the BBEG in the capital city where he needed to go. The tearing hell asunder is incredible. Immediately after you said that, my mind was reeling with all of the cosmic repercussions of what would happen. (laughs) It's a lot to think about. Luckily, it was a short campaign, right? (laughs) You say that, but I'm also now running two spinoff games for other parties that are dealing with aftermath effects of this. So it's like, yeah, they don't have to deal with it, but somebody does. That game in particular was absolutely wild. It had like Nerd D, like Matt Nerd D, Josh the Governor, Christian Navarro, Katie Asaurus, and Harley Kane. Those five are ridiculous together. Josh was playing basically a character that looked like an ant, like a Thakreen that looked like an ant that was dressed as a cowboy. So every arm just had pistols as an artificer. That entire game sticks out very far in my mind because Christian Navarro seduced Zariel, like the archdevil, and the whole time was like, oh yes, didn't know who that was, didn't realize the, the connotations of what that meant, and he was like, oh, I can fix her, Archbay, and I was like, you don't know anything about this character, and this is what we're going with. I could fix her. <laughs> and her charisma scores off the charts too, right? Like, it would take a lot to convince her to... <laughs> The thing is, Christian, as a as a person, I love this man very much. <laughs> very charismatic. If you've seen him as Frida on Critical Role, you, like, you can, it speaks volumes to the type of range that he has. But this character was his home game character that he got to play at level 20. And it was a lot of fun getting to watch him take that home game character, try to seduce Ariel, and me in the background messaging his home game DM to make this lore canon in their home world that he has no idea what's going to unfold with this. 
it was a great time, but in the end, Zeriel actually gave up her demonicness for him. And it was really sweet. She gave everything up just to be with him in the end. But it was a while. I had to message his home game DM of, I don't know how your next game's going to go, but this has just happened. So he did fix her. Wow. And he had no idea that I had planned that. It was a coin toss of if he could convince her enough. And they went to the River Styx. And for those who don't know, the River Styx can take memory or make you forget things. And the ferryman was there and she gave up everything to be with him. She, it was that they had to give up a memory or something important. All of the players picked really impactful things and she went last. And he thought that she was going to leave him there at the port and that would be the end of it. And she asked him if he meant everything he had said. And he is like, yeah, it's the best of my abilities. I was a Christian. Me as the DM, I'm asking, are you being honest? Yes, I'm being honest with her. And so she took the ferryman's hand and said, I give you my life. And instead of her actual life, she was giving up all of her demoness and turned back to her angelic form and is now a fallen Asimar that's going with him. It was an interesting game. It was a lot of fun. Definitely uh, wasn't the way I expected it to go at all, but it was one of the best games I think I've run. (laughs) I feel like the memories are made in one of two ways. One is like really epic combat that you may have planned, but the other way is always like the stuff that you didn't plan that just happens and everyone loves it. Oh, the ant character that Josh, the governor, was playing, like took a war machine and drove up the side of one of the pyramids, guns literally ablazing. It was a good time. It was great. And it was also incredible because Matt, who is nerdy, it was one of the most intense roleplay moments I think I've ever had with another player. Of The bad guy in one of the layers of hell was his actual mother, and he didn't know she'd just been missing, and it was in his backstory if she had left the family and all of this. I had messaged him, I was like, what does she look like for no reason whatsoever? And he had forgotten that I had asked. And so she was wearing a helmet, he had no idea, and it was one of the most dramatic angry role plays that I've ever had with somebody where he just let loose and in the end I expected him to want to talk to her or anything and he just said you will go to my father you will hold his hand until he passes and then you will leave he only wanted that she was an elf and the father was a human and so he was passing early or much earlier than her and it was a very dramatic moment that some of the best role play I think I've ever had. And afterwards, we took a break. I said, you good? He was like, oh yeah, that was great. Like, I'm so happy with that. I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. I like that. That's another tip though. Um, be checking in even during the session, especially during emotionally charged moments. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do. And even in your chats, if you're on Discord or you're on Zoom or anything, just check in. Breaks are okay to take early, even if you weren't expecting to take a break. It's all right. It's fine. Things happen. We all get emotional. It's a lot of energy and spoons that we are putting into our characters. So take breaks. Do you have any um, homebrew rules or things like that that you like to include in your games that you feel like make things more fun or more immersive, that kind of thing? I'm just a really big fan of like the general rule of cool. I love improv. I thrive off of it. I love when people throw me random things or clever solutions. Anything like that, even if it's not something that should technically work within the confines of whatever TTRPG we're playing, I'm happy to try anything. I had a character that's playing a wild magic sorcerer that accidentally turned himself to stone for 10 rounds of combat. Like it was, this combat will be over. So I was like, if you can come up with a creative solution to get out of the stone, we'll talk about it. Keep your initiative and when we come to you, we'll deal with it. And he decided to cast Chaos Bolt on himself, but do acid damage to melt the stone off of him. And so I was like, that's fine. You're going to take half damage. He was like, that's fine. I will happily do that. So creative solutions that can put somebody back in the game instead of sitting them out. I'm a big fan of that. And giving my players the choice of double the dice or double the damage is something I always do just in the moment to see what they prefer to do. I will never have a rule of you have to do one or the other. I like that. Yeah, fun over worrying about all the little rules, right? Because it's a lot more fun that way. It's a really scary thing if you're going on to a stream or you're joining a group that maybe you don't know very well of, oh my god, am I going to mess up? What are they going to think if I don't know these rules? I don't have the player's handbook memorized. It's okay. I would much rather you have a good time and feel comfortable at a table than scared or to play or come back or role play. Exactly. That's what it's all about. And now a word from a few of How Not to DM's sponsors. 
First up, I'm really excited to announce a partnership with the website RPGmatch.com. RPGmatch.com is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with TTRPG players who play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred play style, and find hundreds of folks out there to fill up your tables. RPGmatch.com, don't roll the dice on who you play with. RPGmatch.com is free to use, and you just jump in there, creating a profile is really easy, it's a few clicks, you fill out a little survey, and then immediately you're given a list of tons of people who want to play the same games as you do and want to play in a similar style. So it's really easy to find folks from all over the globe to fill up those spots on your table, like I said. So check out RPGmatch.com if you haven't already created a profile. You can go find me on there or find other folks who want to play really niche games that you want to play or, you know, just want to play 5e or whatever it is. Check it out. Next, I want to shout out my friends, RPG Stress Test. RPG Stress Test is an actual play podcast where the members of the Dead Set Media crew and friends get together to run slash ruin your favorite TTRPG systems. They've done a lot of playtesting for folks who are creating brand new games, or they've done actual play segments where they play through well-tested and well-loved games. Basically, everything is on the table and shenanigans will ensue. They were kind enough to run a live stream of the Too Hot one-shot in the middle of a convention, might I add, with a bunch of fans that were present at their house. So if you want to check out RPG Stress Test, you want to check out their actual play of Too Hot one-shot, or you just want to see what happens when real games meet actual at-the-table antics, check out RPG Stress Test. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who helped me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts, podcasts, whatever it might be, Episodify is ready to help you out. They have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month. And if you buy more, then you can save more on the editing hours you buy. So if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap, then check out episodify.com. Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Ivy and I are going to roll some D100s on some random tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay together. So, Ivy, without further ado, give me that first D100 roll and let's see what the fetch quest is. 38. A loot with seven strings. So you get to decide why and where and all that good stuff. Let's now build that NPC that you're going to play for us. So the first table to roll on for the NPC is the job the NPC has. So where we will find them, how they could be dressed, you know, what they might be doing. 100. A barber. Okay. The next table is a voice description, how they might sound. Ooh, 49. Every sentence sounds like a joyous announcement. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Last but not least, a personality trait of this NPC. So it'll inform kind of how you're going to roleplay him. 83. Pest. One that pesters or annoys with or without realizing it. Nuisance, annoying, nag. <laughs> I do not think you are like this at all, but I think you're going to be very good at pretending to be this. Sure, sure, sure. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know what? I've never been a Warforged, and I think it would be really funny to have a Warforged in this situation. So I'm going to play a Warforged, and I will look generally competent with weapons and that kind of thing. So maybe got a sword and a shield on my back or something. And I look like I am on a mission wherever I am walking. We'll say I'm copper as well, because I think that's an interesting color for a Warforged. Maybe a little bit of, little bit of oxidization going on here and there, some green. All right, so Ivy, go ahead, take however much time you need, but set the scene for us and let's jump in and see what this loot is all about. Sure. What's your Warforged name? I think I will go by the nickname Teapot because my creator called me some string of numbers and letters that's uninteresting. Teapot's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> Teapot, you find yourself in a bustling city. 
mini buildings with shops, the wooden signs hanging down. You can hear the ding of bells as the doors are opened into various places. The shouting of other merchants. You can hear the footsteps on the cobblestones under your feet. You recently have heard of a barber. You, being a warforged, have no reason to go to a barber. But something about hearing that word has drawn your attention. And so you are looking for the grooming haven, where man, woman, child of any age, race, gender, goes for their precise cuts and their clean shaven. Is there anything you would like to do before you get to this particular shop? I am anxious to meet this barbar. I have heard <laughs> good things. <laughs> do you think Teapot knows exactly what the barber is, or is it just guessing? Like, you hear... Oh, they cut hair. I wonder what that actually entails. Perhaps they will have something to grease my rusty joints. Perfect. So, as you are pattering on the cobblestones to reach this building, you could do come to a beautifully ornate building with gold leathering on the front windows, a bronze handle that shines and shimmers, but looks like it is well-worn as if many a patron has come in and out. Somebody is currently leaving. A man, very tall, with horns that curl back into his head. Slicked back hair that looks like it's been freshly cut. But he holds the door open for you as he sees you kind of approaching. Thank you, kind patron. Have you just seen the barber? Why, why yes, I, I did. Uh, are you in need of a, of a cut? Uh, no, I am just fascinated by the ritual of cutting of one's hair and wish to observe. Uh, oh, okay. Um, well, in, in you go then. Um, Thank you. So step aside for you and they'll let you go into the barbershop, which has rows and rows of seating and red velvet cushion chairs. Uh, people walking around everywhere, some sweeping up hair, but there is one person that sticks out to you more than any other. A small goblin with slicked back hair, white peasant shirt, black pants, with a pair of golden shears in his hand that is quick and precise as he is cutting a woman's hair. He looks over, he's like, a customer? <laughs> <clears throat> I am not sure that I will need the services you render, but I am quite fascinated by the occupation of shearing of humanoids' hair. As he steps down from a stool that he was previously on to cut this person's hair, he comes rushing over to you, looking you over as he takes you in and addresses your size. He's like, oh, you are fascinated by what I do? That's amazing. Yes, I am. What, 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 is there anything else that I can do for you? Like, I, as he, <laughs> see that he's slowly sizing up your hair, like your head to see if there's any way that he could possibly yeah. cut anything. Um, or adorn you with a wig? Uh, I, I, I'll kind of like, <laughs> I, I do not wish to add uh, false hair to my head, but perhaps there are other services which you could render me? Uh, are, are you an adventurer of sorts? Uh, a grand quest, maybe? You have a quest for me to perform. I could work for a barber? Yes, yes. I do. I have a singular quest. Uh, one that you... A person of your stature, size, and talents would excel at. There is a loot. One that is off in a cavern filled with water that I feel like you could bring hmm. me. Has this loot become waterlogged? Is it usable or is it perhaps magic and impervious to water? I do believe that it's magical. As he gestures grandly above your head. I, I would be happy to fetch this instrument for you. I am no good at playing instruments, but perhaps you are. I need it to give to someone. So if you would if you would please obtain it oh. for me. Is this a courting ritual in which you <laughs> wish to participate? As he just covers your mouth very quickly and then glances over his shoulder to one of the other hairdressers. A very tall, like, statuesque tiefling with purple skin and silver hair. He's like, shh, 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 shh. Wow, that, that is quite a specimen. Uh, I, I, I'm saying this quietly. <laughs> I see why you are so enthralled. I would be happy to fetch this loot for you. 
in the name of love. He thinks that he's being quiet, but he's obviously not being quiet. Like he's like, it's like that shouting whisper. He's like, great, 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 great. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, I need I need you to do it. And when you return, uh, we will arrange payment, whatever whatever you need. As yes. he pulls out the gold shears, he's like, I'll even give you my, my golden shears. Oh, I, I would not presume to take your uh, tools of your craft, but perhaps I could sit in your chair and we could talk about your your courtship. Yes, yes, of course. You're already a pleasure to talk to. I would be more than happy to do so. This has been a very fruitful visit. Uh, do you have a map for the location of this cave? One moment, as he rushes over to the counter and starts scribbling on receipt paper, uh, just a very brief <laughs> dotted map with little lines and an X. He's like, here you go. As he hands it to you unceremoniously. Ah, yes. I know the exact location of which you are referring. I will be back shortly. Go, go, go. Go, 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 go. As he then, like, starts poking you, like, to get you out the door. Go, 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 go. <laughs> All right, I'm going to turn around and go and, and get this done because I will do anything for the barber. Of course. And obviously he's very enthusiastic to have you do so. Uh, so as you actually, you are met with the same cobblestone street, the same general atmosphere that you previously left. But now you're on a quest. Now um, I am on a quest. You are on a quest. You have somewhere to be. You have love to help bloom. For some reason, that's more important than hairdressing. Um, (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) As you proceed forward following this crudely drawn map on receipt paper and parchment, you eventually do come to a cave. Having traversed through a garden and having traversed through these cobblestone streets, you do come to the mouth of a cave with a... A lot of forgery and greenery. This is not a very well-hidden cave, so you're unsure of what a musical instrument of sorts would be doing here. But this is where he said to go. He did say it was flooded, so I'll probably just head right in. He did. So, as you head right in, the area is illuminated with bioluminescent mushrooms as Mm. blues and purples bounce and play off of the walls in this cavern. The water itself is reflective of this as those lights seem to dance across the top of the water on the surface. You're not immediately finding this musical instrument, but after traversing a little further in the cave, there's a chance you might. It just doesn't seem to be right in this this room. Luckily, I do not have to hold my breath to swim. I will <laughs> carry on further. A wonderful time to play a Warforged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so as you, you swim into these depths, if you had flesh or endorsed sensors on yourself, you would know that the water is quite crisp, very cool. But as you begin diving downwards, surrounded by small trout and small fish, some coral lacing the walls and rocks, you do eventually see a chest at the bottom of the water that has appeared to be locked. Well, uh, I am not the most dexterous, but I do have brute force on my side. <laughs> I will attempt to force open this chest. I'll tell you what, I have dice. Let's go odds or evens. Uh, even? It was 12, so good job. As you brute force the strength with a snap and the the chains that were binding this chest unfurl and fall to the the bedrock below. As you open it, there is a beautiful instrument with seven strings, each a different color. Hmm. This is the object of my quest. I will grab it unless it's going to kill me <laughs> and try to take it back to the surface. It doesn't seem to want to kill you. It does seem heavy. Uh, you assume, yes, this is waterlogged. So you're not quite sure if the goblin that you previously encountered knew of that, but um, he may be far too infatuated with his tiefling to care. So, as you swim to the surface, you are once again met with that bioluminescent cave and are able to make your way out. As you make your way out and back to the gardens and the forestry and the greenery to the cobblestone... As I'm going through the gardens, I'm going to grab yes. some flowers. Oh, perfect. What do you, what do you grab? Whatever's growing. I I don't think I would have any <laughs> aesthetic idea about which flowers would go together and which, which greenery would look nice together. I'd probably just, just grab... Yeah, I'll grab, like, one of each. Oh, great. <laughs> Just in case, you know? <laughs> you don't know. Maybe she likes, like, 
certain ones and maybe doesn't like. Yeah, right. perfect. Yeah. You right. just grab a whole he bunch can, of wildflowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just you just grab a whole bunch of different wildflowers and different array of colors and things. They're all different shapes and sizes. You're like, yeah, that's perfect. So as you find your way back to the cobblestone streets with their street lights and everything looks like it is slowly starting to close for the evening, but the lights of the barbershop beckon you as you enter once more into this barbershop where it seems to have quieted down. That goblin with slicked back hair is cleaning up one of the workstations and the tiefling is on the other side of the room. When you enter the ding of a bell, he looks to you. A little surprised that that was so fast, but he rushes over <laughs> to you. He's like, welcome back. Did you bring me? Did you bring, did you get the, the, the thing? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'll like lean down and, and try to be quiet. I have found the loot. And also I brought you flowers for your friend. <laughs> oh, uh, as he scoops up the flowers, he's like, these are beautiful. He still thinks he's whispering. He is not. Um, but he takes the loot and he looks like not kind of flips it on the side. That way water can kind of come out of it. <laughs> yeah. The little bit that you didn't get while you were walking. Right. Like, oh, it's perfect. Uh, take a seat in any of the chairs that you like. Oh, I will be back. Uh, yes. I will give you privacy for your courtship. I will return in the morning. Oh, oh. yes, 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 yes. Th thank you. Thank you. This is perfect. Uh, Thank you. As he rushes off to go speak to his tiefling, which is far taller than he is. But upon looking to the lute and looking to the flowers, she does seem a little taken with him, a little impressed that he went through the effort, not fully realizing that the Warforge that they saw earlier actually is the one who went through all of the effort. But yeah, from the little bit that you see, they do seem to interact and engage well. And the next morning, when you come back, he welcomes you with open arms and a cry of joy and tells you in hushed tones that really aren't hushed that the evening was lovely and he went on a stroll with her and how much he appreciates and that you are welcome to take a quest from him any day. Perhaps I have found my new calling, matchmaking for the humanoids. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> a whole other different kind of love machine. <laughs> Yeah, I need to think of a new name for myself. <laughs> uh, I love it. No longer are you T5. I love it. I think that's the first one where we've had a love story, which warms my heart. That's good. <laughs> Happy to provide. All right. <laughs> Ivy, I mentioned in the intro that you are one of the busiest people that I know, at least, in the tabletop sphere. So let's dig into a few of the many projects that you're juggling at the moment. Starting off with the one I feel like is in the front of everyone's minds, which is the CRIT Awards. So CRIT Awards, it's a, a smart acronym that you came up with. So tell us what the acronym is and then also what they are, where'd you get the idea and how they materialized. I wish I could take credit for the acronym itself. But I actually just said, hey, to one of my staff members, Tanner, who did all of our stream, did our pre-recorded stream that you saw during the actual event. But the CRIT Awards stands for Creator Recognition in TTRPGs. So it started as a conversation in January of just an idea of so many incredible creators from dice makers to other TTRPG creators to streamers of not having the recognition that they deserved in the community. There is a lot who do a lot of behind the scenes. There's a lot of people who do things that maybe we don't initially recognize of our dice makers. I think that Equinox Dice said it best, is that they get to make art that is part of your storytelling. And I think that's a beautiful way to look at that. But we have so many character artists and producers and tech that don't get the recognition. And so it started in January as a simple conversation. And then I hyper-focused and within two weeks had the beginning forms, the websites, the socials, and everything done and was already reaching out to sponsors who wanted to work with me on it. So we opened up originally the polls of what categories would you like to see? And having some input, I was like, these are the ones we're already going to have. What well, are some additional? And we ended up with 44 different categories that we awarded from best overlay to best accessibility to outstanding community member to best charity event or organization that was raising funds within the TTRPG space. And then from polls and things like that, we, we went into our 44 categories of actual voting. And we received 4,681 votes for our 44 categories, which was a 
a huge amount of people that were supporting their fellow TTRPG creators in all of those fields. I was keeping way too close of an eye on our numbers because I was blown away with that amount and it just kept growing. I was like, oh, we'll get to, you know, when we hit 1,500, I was like, oh, maybe we'll get to 2,000. And then we passed 2,000. We got to 3,500. I was like, oh, it'll probably stop there. And then we got to 4,000. And I was like, I don't know where this is going to end. And then when we finally closed it, it was 4,681. And that's a huge number for an inaugural event. Shout out to Gen Con for giving us a beautiful space to hold the event. And yeah, decided that we would host it at Gen Con. Originally, I wasn't sure if we would have the ability to because I was like, that's in seven months. That's not a lot of time to put together something like this. But through voting, and then we had 14 different sponsors that provided dice awards to all of our people. We did certificates. We did a bunch of like just fun things. And yeah, it came together. And we were really grateful that we were able to pull it off in that time. I have a very, very small team. And it took me 27 hours worth of spreadsheets to get it all done. And I was very grateful to have Milagros, my committee member who sat and verified votes with me till like two in the morning, knowing they had a job interview the next day, which they eventually got the job. But yeah, it was a lot of work. It was me and Milagros verifying it because I never wanted it to be a thing of, well, Ivy doesn't have the experience when it comes to publishing. Milagros is an English major and has the backing of education to help me verify those things. And it's time consuming. You have to have a very high integrity because when we're looking at those, we have a criteria that we have to look at in addition to those nominations. And it's a lack of bias. And so that is why it was very important to me of who we had on our board that even knew about certain things or who was winning or just categories in general. There are some other tabletop centric awards out there. When you thought of this idea I'm sure you were aware of the others, but you know what kind of niche were you looking to fill that you feel like Crit Awards did that was needed? Well, I really wanted to focus on, because of course, and there's also wonderful other awards out there. I've been very lucky to meet with some of the other people who do them, like the New Jersey Webfest. They are phenomenal. Great guys. We met up at Gen Con. They told me how great we did on our award show, which I really appreciated when they've been doing it for five years. And so it was always a thing of, wanting to look at, in addition to our GM and player categories, of those overlays, of who's making this an accessible hobby. One of the things that we looked at was for our TTRPGs, like our one-page TTRPGs, was there a community copy where it was free? Is this something that you have to pay for? What are the accessibilities to these streams? Are there closed captionings? It was always something of we wanted to recognize every aspect of this community, no matter what it was, whether it was character art or dice making or overlays or tech or producing. How often do dice makers get to have that recognition that they so very well deserve? It's a hard hobby when you're trying to make a living off of it. And so I don't think it is more of a competition. I think it's more of an addition of another thing where people deserve the recognition that they deserve. I certainly didn't see it as a competition. Like you said, I think you hit those niches very well, especially with the background folks, the tech folks, the people who aren't necessarily in the spotlight that still deserve spotlight. One of the things that we're focusing on is the inclusivity and the diversity of our people, because we have a lot of wonderful people who don't get that recognition. One of our winners, Prince, who won our Vampire the Masquerade GM, came up and told me how grateful they were that there was so many people of color. And that really meant a lot. He was like, I almost cried when I realized that all my category was a lot of people of color and that the players in Vampire the Masquerade, they're all people of color. And that means a lot. And so it's one of those things that we always wanted to be inclusive, diverse, and giving the recognition no matter the person. I noticed a lot of your social names. I don't know what to call it. Like Your name on your social medias now is already working on Crit Awards 2024. Yes. So <laughs> for everyone wondering, there is a future. So tell us a little bit about what you got planned for next year, if, if you can. There is a future and it's already being worked on because I can't take a break. One of the things I heard at Gen Con from a lot of people when they asked, what do you do? I would tell them, you know, the thing at the beginning of, I do Crit Awards and I do social media and community management and I do PR for Geek Girl Con and I do these things. The constant was, wow, you wear a lot of hats. I just need a, like, a shirt that says, I wear a lot of hats. It'll be great. But yeah, it's already being worked on in the way of we had a lot of wonderful people come up after Gen Con that weren't involved this year that wanted to be that said, okay, next year, we would really love to support you this way, this way, and this way, 
or next year, or you would love to be involved somehow. We're not taking no for an answer. Hopefully Gen Con will give us the space again because that venue is beautiful and we're very lucky to have had it this year. So yeah, it's, it's being worked on very slowly. I have a bunch of dice and things still to give away. So we got to do something with them. Good news is you have more lead time this time and you've got all the experience and hopefully you can cut down that spreadsheet time. All right. So along with the Crit Awards, you do a myriad of other things, but you mentioned you've appeared on Gen Con panels before. You have guest GM'd and DM'd on a lot of popular streams and your own streams. How did you gain the experience necessary and put in the work behind the scenes to kind of get to where you are today, where you have so many opportunities to do fun stuff like this? So I started off streaming with Dice Cream Sandwich a couple years ago. Dice Cream was the first stream I was on, and I was so nervous about my first stream that I had a severe migraine the day before and almost dropped out. Me and one other person that was on that stream were so scared of being on our first stream that we both almost dropped, which would have been very bad in the long run because that game ended up being a two-year game that was supposed to be a one-shot, but we all know how that goes. For all of my community management stuff and my social media stuff, I have eight years of administrative experience, including working probation and parole. So a lot of that comes from real-life experience where I worked in those fields and turned it into a career of pushing myself to include that to content creators, which is where a lot of that comes from. And I think that there's a lot of wonderful entry-level jobs when it comes to community management. Of Even using your Discord moderation experience can be a huge boost because you are dealing with people on a constant basis. Putting yourself out there and shooting a shot is always my favorite way to go because the worst people can say is no or ignore you. And there are far worse things in life than missing those opportunities. As far as GMing, sometimes you just got to jump into it. Watch experienced GMs. I am very lucky to have a wide variety of friends who are very talented. I steal things from their DMing all the time. Something I stole from Josh the Governor from the Welcome In was, tell me what color your magic is. Tell me what it looks like. Having those little details and learning how to GM better and putting yourself out there or starting games that are streamed. Even if you start with a very small audience, your product and your quality will speak volumes. So just make sure you keep at it. The hard work is one thing, and it's tiring. Try not to burn yourself out. Yeah, that is a big one too. But yeah, I like it. Just kind of get yourself out there and start working on it. And the more you practice, the better you're going to get, the more you're going to get noticed. And take all of those shots. If you see a DM that you really admire, like asking on Twitter for your best homebrew rules, or just include yourself. Make sure that you're not telling yourself, I'm not good enough yet. It's okay to not be good enough. All of us feel that way, I promise. Don't be one of those people that asks a person all the time trying to get their attention, but do it in a respectful way that isn't crossing a boundary. Yeah, that's big too. Um, Knowing how to communicate your interest and being respectful about it. Yeah, I'm sure you get as many or more messages than me. And you can tell the people who are genuine and the people who are just shotgun approach trying to get whatever they can. I think there has been an influx of people putting their genuine selves out there because you can only keep up a fake mask for so long. Just be genuine. It's not that hard to not be a problem. And it's not that hard to be respectful of somebody else's boundary, really. So just put yourself out there, be respectful doing it, and be genuine about it. You and I met in person at the Convergence. We'd previously met in the same little mini group of the D&D Creators Summit, which is a whole other thing that we won't address. But we met in person at the uh, at the Convergence, which was a really fun event done local to me here at Evermore Park. So I know you had a big role in running that thing. One of my friends, your friends, Dead Aussie Gamer, told me to get in touch with you to talk about it. So I'd love to hear about kind of how that came to be, the work that went into that, and you know if there are any future plans for that kind of stuff too. So the original backbone of the Convergence came from Quincy and Jason, who is Critical Dice. A lot of the fore work was done by them of getting Evermore Park set up and all of that. My role came into when I needed to help moderate the Discord and get in communication with the DMs or manage all of those things. During the event, I don't think a lot of people realized I was managing the Convergence Discord as well as being there in person during the event. 
the VIPs, the people who had paid for that experience a little longer than just the general admission, were under my charge on the Discord as well. So I was managing a lot of people, including all of our DMs, of which we had 16, I think. So during that, I was also house mom and house parent for the DMs, managing the Discord and answering questions and being that point person. It was a lot of work. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I want to make that very clear. It was stressful. It was hard. There was definitely some issues, as there are with the first events. Even the Crit Awards had small issues and stressful things. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Evermore was a lot of fun. We had some really good staff at Evermore that was really helpful. Connor and Jarvis, who are on the, on the production team, were a huge part of that. Wendy on the back end with helping Jason, the Critical Dice, was also a huge help. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, but definitely a lot of work. I think there are plans for future events similar to that. Quincy and Jason are doing a lot of other things currently. Quincy with the wonderful cookbook that is coming out. And Critical Dice was just at Gen Con with Jennings and all of them and Shane. So I think there is, but I think they are focusing on other endeavors, at least for the moment. Yeah, it's definitely probably not a yearly thing given the amount of work that went into it, right? I think for the large majority, aside from the errors, people for the large majority had a lot of fun with it. This is an off-the-cuff question based on what you were just talking about, but you talked about like little errors and things that are stressing you out about all of these big events that you're being part of and facilitating or running yourself. How do you help yourself have perspective in the moment when you're dealing with really stressful things? How do you see the light at the end of the tunnel and not let it bog you down to the point where you just can't function or you give up? I can speak to the critical words of I made an error on stage. And that's a really stressful thing when you have a very large audience of 150 people um, watching you as you are putting on this event for the very first time. You accept it that you made a mistake. And if it's to someone, apologize for that mistake like I did on stage to those 150 people where I said an error and came back and said, I'm so sorry, I meant this. And then you got to move past it. You can't let it eat you alive or bog you down because it's not the end of the world. You have to live with it. And it's not something you can focus on because it's going to make it so much more stressful in the long run. And I'm somebody with depression and anxiety. I've had it since I was 12. It's very hard to move past those things. But the best you can do is learn from it. If you take it as an opportunity to grow and you take it as an opportunity to do better in the future or you admit I made a mistake and then you take it and you use that as a learning experience, it'll do you much better in the long run. Yeah, I like that. Thanks for answering that. And thanks for being so vulnerable. I appreciate that. We've talked about so many things that you've done and there's so many other things that you've done that we don't have time to get to, but I'd love to know what some of your upcoming projects are. What's on your list? What's on your to-dos? What's on your goals? You know, What do you have coming next? As we know, Gen Con next year is already on the list of things that I have to prep for, but in the more immediate future, uh, Geek Girl Con in Seattle is something that I'm currently working on. I do their PR, and they're a wonderful group of women who, and, and a couple of men who are working very hard to put on that event. So if you're in the Seattle area in October, that is a great event. They do it every year. It's a lot of fun. I'm also working on Rolling for Charity, which is our 24-hour charity event, which we do every November. We've raised over $20,000, and yeah, we're hoping that this year will be just as fun as any other year. Doing a couple different events this year for it, so that's my other to-do list. I think helping a bunch of other content creators getting their panels together for Gen Con next year has also come up on my list of things I'm helping of networking for other people or helping them learn how to set up a panel. I ran my first panel last year at Gen Con where I did a mental health and TTRPGs panel. I'm helping a lot of people learn how to do it too. So that's kind of on my to-do list. The to-do list is never done, right? There's always more things to work on. Yeah, that's how you like it to be. Yeah. It's been so much fun to chat with you. I'd love to wrap things up with talking about your words of wisdom, encouragement, etc. to people out there running games and then also people out there who are doing the behind the scenes work that you are all too familiar with. It's okay to take a break. And I say this as somebody who has a really hard time taking a break, as we've recently discussed. It's okay to have other hobbies. TTRPGs does not need to be the only one. If you're like, wow, I really need to catch up on this anime, but I have all of these other things I need to work on. It's okay to give yourself a breather. 
It doesn't mean that you're failing or you're making a mistake. Take the breath. It's all right. Sometimes you, you need to take it before you burn yourself out. Any advice I would give to new GMs or anybody that's coming into the space, communication is always going to be your favorite tool because miscommunication leads to a lot of hurts and a lot of awkward situations. Be precise and communicate your boundaries. And anything that you need to communicate, it's hard and it'll be awkward at times. Have the hard conversations and be a little awkward, then miss out on a good friendship or a good gaming group or just an opportunity. Do the communication. It's better in the long run for everybody involved. <laughs> and don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to shoot your shot, even if you're scared. The worst somebody can say is no. Three great pieces of advice and some that I should probably take to heart as well occasionally here and there. Well, Ivy, like I said, it's been so much fun chatting with you. It was great to meet you in person. Great to become friends over the last few months here as we've kind of gotten to know each other better. You've mentioned a few upcoming things that you've got in, in October and November. So I'd love to hear the dates of those. So people, if they're interested, can check them out. And then also where people can find you and uh, your streams and et cetera online. 24-hour rolling for charity stream is November 18th and 19th, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. I believe GeekerCon is the first weekend of October. Stream-wise, I'm all the time over on Dice Cream Sandwich, where I normally DM. If I'm not Dice Cream, I'm Game Rither Girl on all of my other socials. And then if I'm not Game Rither Girl on all of my other socials, I'm on the Curl the World account. So <laughs> you can find me on any three of those. Many different ways to get in touch, yeah. If you're one of those people who needs to tell Ivy that you won't take no for an answer and you want to help her out with all the things she's working on, those are the ways you can get in touch with her. I'll make sure to throw all that in the links in the episode show notes. So get in touch with her, uh, say hi, and uh, yeah, check out all the cool stuff she's working on. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now let's hear a sneak peek from next week's guest, Charles, writer and DM for the Man Shorts YouTube channel. I'm always of the opinion that if you have a good framework for your world as far as like what the rules are and who's in there and what are they doing, if you can inform to all of those, then they can kind of do whatever they want and then there are repercussions and consequences accordingly based on what you've set up in the world so you know in theory you should get to a place as a dm where obviously you have your story and you want to let it unfold but i think just kind of giving them the reins and seeing where it goes and then that builds the story and allows for things that you may have never even planned for to hear more from charles make sure to tune in next week if you enjoyed the show and want to support me, there are tons of easy ways like tipping me a few dollars on Kofi or PayPal or by buying things for your own games from my affiliate links. Again, those are located in my link tree. I've got links for dice, minis, tabletop gaming accessories, published content, and even geeky apparel. Last of all, I'm proud to support Diversity Saves, a tabletop role-playing game charity which donates money to diverse up-and-coming creators working on their very first projects. It's a great cause, and I'm really excited to see what awesome stuff people will create. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos theme is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.